Welcome to Hope with the Heart. I'm so glad you're here today. If you are listening in, I'm beginning the book of Revelation, and I want to give you a context first. Uh, Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through, uh, I think, 3. I'm probably not even going to get that far, but but the title of this uh, message today is Heaven Prepares for Judgment. It's a behind-the-scenes, so to speak, look at heaven as the judgments are about to uh, be given and uh, come right out of heaven onto the earth. So it's a very interesting text. I want you to hear this text to give it context. Uh, Beginning in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, the Word of God reads, verse 1, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, and a sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. You know, if I could ask a hundred people today what they they would like to see just inside heaven, just a glimpse, I would imagine most would, even though it would be a scary, frightening thing for some to even answer the question. But imagine being able to take a look into heaven and being able to see some of these things that John sees or to be able to say and see like what Ezekiel saw or whatever Paul saw and was denied the privilege of even writing about it. I don't know if it would scare us to death, uh, but it probably would or we would even have a hard time describing it. If you want to see how hard it would be to describe what you see using your own vocabulary and words and things that you know that people can relate to, read Ezekiel chapter 1 sometime. That's Ezekiel's vision of what he saw in heaven. And then read what John sees, and you'll see there's a big difference. Well, John sees things that probably are exactly the same, but John is being told clearly how to write this and give an instruction about this. And so we we take a look at this, and I want to give you a couple of general observations because there is so much here uh, that I just want to go over because I I see this as very foundational. Some general observations is, number one, heaven is up. I want you to notice in verse 1 it says, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Heaven is up. That's really what heaven means is up. Well, where is up? Up is the third heaven. We know that. We're going to look at this throughout this book. We're given this information that heaven is above the the heaven right above our heads, which is where the birds fly. Heaven is also above the planets and the, the sun, the moon, all these stars. Heaven is above that. Heaven is in what is called the third heaven. The next observation is this is not the rapture. It's simply a picture of... Of a, of a of one man going up for the purpose of revelation. In other words, it's, it's really John being called up to heaven for the purpose of God telling him and showing him what is going to happen on this earth after the church age. So it's a very important time. This is after the church has already been raptured. Next point of observation. This is what is known as the tribulation period, a seven-year period of judgment upon this earth. Now, the book of Daniel and several other places call it the time of Jacob's trouble, 
And that specifically looks at the last three and a half years. And we're going to take a look at all of that. So chapters 4 and 5 are really all of the commotion that will set off the seal, trumpet, and bold judgments found in Revelation chapters 6 through 19. I tell you, if you've ever wanted to participate in a study of end times, I welcome you to this because we are going to dive into this like we have been the last couple of weeks, and it's going to get uh, exciting and sometimes even scary or frightening. But I want you to notice that, again, the observation is this is a throne mentioned here in verses 1 through 3. In fact, really in the first 11 verses, the word throne is mentioned some 40 times. I mean, in the first 11 verses, it's 13 times, excuse me. It's 13 times in 11 verses. And then throughout the book, it's over 40 times we see the very word throne mentioned. Well, what does throne mean? We're going to take a look at that. But throne is a, is a look at the seat of authority or sovereignty of God. It's showing us something about God. And we're going to hopefully have time to get into that uh, as we take a look at this section. So as we uh, have just already read this section, we find ourselves looking at this. And I want you to notice the first phrase, after these things. After these things is a phrase that is used here and also in Revelation 19, 119, where it says in 119, John was told to write therefore the things which you have seen, which he did. He wrote that in chapter 1 of Revelation. And then it says the things which are, and that is the church age, that's the seven churches of what we said was Asia Minor, or what is modern-day Turkey. And so after the church age, then it says in in chapter 1, verse 19 of Revelation, it says, and the things which shall take place after these things. Now, uh, for the sake of argument, uh, uh, missing, I don't want to argue about it, because there's no one here to argue with, but you you can't really say that this is uh, something that is, Uh, debatable. This is something that is given to us. It is the Word of God. All of this is initiated by Christ Himself, and this is after the church age. And so there is a lot to be seen going on in heaven. Uh, John says, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and this door is simply an entrance, or it's like an invitation to heaven, allowing John to be able to walk straight into the very throne room of God. And that's what he does in verse 1. Imagine that, being able to walk into the very throne room of God and to see the very actual throne of God. I can't even say it without imagining how you would have to be in the Spirit. You could not be in your flesh. I don't think your flesh and your eyes and your ears could even handle all that is in heaven. But John is able to handle this because he's been invited there and he is shown these things. So after these things is, is what God is telling him to write because it is, it's, it's God's chronology of the end times after the church age. And that's what we call it, end times, not just based on this, but so many other important scriptures. So this becomes a very important transition point after these things. It connects us back to verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 19, and it transitions us from the church age into the end time. So this door into heaven is wide open for John to enter the very throne room of God. Now this heaven and this place where he is 
We saw this in John chapter 14, verse 1. I go to prepare a place for you. You remember that? Remember reading that in John 14, 1? A place for you that where I am, there you may be also. This is that place. This is where John is actually standing. And you know he thought about these kinds of things. You know that John is spending his time in heaven while being on the Isle of Patmos and being persecuted for his faith. Surely he thought back. Perhaps he was thinking back or when Christ first shared that. When the incarnate Christ was walking on the earth with the twelve apostles or disciples at that time, and he 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 told them out of his own mouth, John fourteen one, and I'm sure he remembered hearing that, and then thinking, "Wow, I am literally standing right here where Christ told me about this." So I want you to understand that John was not carried mystically into like a never-never land of fantasy. This is not a fantasy dream for him. He was carried spiritually into the into heaven where only a slight foothold in time and space to see what human eyes could not. We cannot naturally see what John is permitted to see. So the Lord changed him. And so we see that this is a period after the church. And again, I want to mention this is not a picture of the rapture. This is something after the rapture. When he says, come up here, I know that sounds very similar to the rapture, but that's not the rapture. This is simply one man being called up to be given a a vision and a revelation of what is going to happen. What is going to happen, we're going to see in chapter 6 through specifically 19, or all, really all the way through 22. So what you have in chapter 4 and 5 is a prologue to what we can call historical events. The activity around the throne of God in verses 4 and 5 begins to move into action, into the kind of action that we're going to see beginning in chapter 6 where the tribulation uh, actually gets into full force on earth. Now, heaven prepares for that. And so that's what we're seeing. Uh, We're seeing that uh, heaven is preparing. The church is never mentioned again from chapter 6 all the way through chapter 22. You don't see the church. And so by assumption, we have to believe that the church is already gone because of the instruction that he's got from Revelation 119 and chapter 4, verse 1, after these things. So we can assume that uh, this period of time of tribulation, which is going to be, is uh, almost here uh, in this when we're in this book. And so we're going to see that. And so remember now, John has a heavenly perspective. He is seeing what's going on in heaven. The people on earth do not realize what's happening. The people on earth are still trying to get over the loss of Christians, disappearing, vanishing, because of the rapture, and they, they could be very confused. We don't know. But we do know Second Thessalonians chapter 3 talks about the fact that God's going to send a strong delusion so that they will believe some things that are going to be told to them. And so we know that there is the judgment coming, and so this is a prelude to the judgment. This is what heaven is going to look like before the judgment hits the earth. Now, where are we, the church? We're up there. We're in heaven. So we're going to see, actually, we're going to, I think, see glimpses 
of what is symbolic of the church up there, and we're going to take a look at that. But I want you to notice the throne is very central here. The throne is very central to heaven. It's uh, As we said, it's mentioned throughout the book, so it becomes very much of a focus. I can't imagine going into heaven, John going into heaven, and, and trying to think about what to focus on, especially when you see a throne in front of you. What are you going to focus on? I think you're going to focus on the throne. The word throne is used 13 times in these 11 verses. And so it becomes a very interesting point for us. So again, this is, this is almost like a wow for John to be able to see this. When he says, behold, a throne in heaven, it's almost like, wow, man, this is a throne is standing here in heaven. First the open door, now a throne, and immediately the voice that he had heard in, in chapter 1, it's the, the voice speaks again, and immediately this summons to come up here. And by the way, when the Lord calls you, you, you go. You don't say, you can't say, you cannot refuse the Lord. This is what is so confusing about people not understanding the true call to salvation. When God, God calls us, He's calling us to life. And I have so often referred to as the picture of Lazarus being called by Christ to, to come forth. Uh, when God speaks, your heart comes to, your spiritual, dead spiritual body comes to life. And it's the same look kind of thing here. When God calls you to heaven, you're taken up. You're gone. It's out of, you're out of here. But Paul, I mean, John is uh, under the control of the Spirit. I hope I didn't say Paul a while ago. John is under the control of the Spirit, and he was taken out of a time-space dimension. Kind of a miraculous condition that he's in. What John was thinking, I don't know. Did he think about verses? Did he think about walking on the earth with Christ and things that he might remember? It's just we don't know. But I want you to understand something, and this is, uh, I, I like to, to mention this because when, when we think about the end times, we think about hey, how chaos, chaotic our world is now, how we are just spiraling down. Things are just seem to be out of control. It seems like this world has, especially America, has lost its footing. It's like we are confused. Uh, Romans chapter 1 puts it so vividly as the uh, judgment, the uh, the judgment that is mentioned in, in, in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to the end of the chapter, uh, which is an abandonment kind of judgment. But in that, you see that one of the third things about the deliverance of uh, delivering a nation that has abandoned God is that God abandons them. And so when, when this kind of a judgment is taking place, which is what I think America is right now, I think we're beginning to we're experiencing this judgment. What judgment? I think it's abandonment judgment. God has turned us over to ourselves. And when you read Romans chapter 1 verses 18 and following, you see that he turns us over to what is called there a reprobate mind. Well, let me tell you what that reprobate mind is. It is a mind that cannot function for the sole purpose of what God has given it. It is a, a mind devoid of use and purpose. It cannot make radical or, or, or solid decisions. In other words, the mind of the nation that has abandoned God is unable to function the way a mind should function. And so that becomes important in understanding this because as we see this world 
getting worse and worse. Think about when the rapture happens and Christians are gone, how the world will be left ready for the judgment. There's going to be, and we can see this beginning in chapter 6, there's going to be wars, there's going to be people fighting. We're going to explain what all that is. Fighting one another, there's going to be famine, there's going to be all kinds of things just stressing people out to a max. Well, the one thing that I think is going to be true for the people there is they are going to think that God, if they even think about God, are not going to be able to think that God is in charge. They're going to think God is not in charge. They're going to think that no one is in charge of anything anymore and that the whole world has gone absolutely crazy. But I want you to notice, there is a calmness about this verse, this passage in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. There's almost like a a serenity, a, a feeling here, a calmness, a peace, an assurance as we, we see this because this throne that John sees is the very seat of universal sovereignty. That's what I think this is. This is to establish God in his rule over all things. This is to say that from now on, John is seeing this, that from now on, all future eschatological history, which is about to unfold, is coming out of this throne of the sovereign God. But here's the thing. It's coming out of the throne of the sovereign God, showing John and all of heaven that God is in absolute perfect control. God is not out of control. God is absolutely in charge. He is directing this. God is fully in charge. So the, the throne that John sees is not so much a piece of furniture, but a symbol of, so, of sovereign rule and sovereign authority. Isaiah saw the same kind of thing in Isaiah chapter 6. He went into the temple. He had a vision of God. You remember he saw the Lord high and lifted up, sitting on a throne. And that is is so uh, good for us to hear this because it's, it's happening again. John is taken to the very presence of where Ezekiel, I mean uh, Isaiah saw. The throne, by the way, is not located in a palace which a lot of thrones would be. The throne is not located anywhere near a palace, but the throne is located in a temple. And that's what we see here. Even though John doesn't mention the temple, everywhere else in Scripture we do see a temple. All throughout the book of Revelation we learn that the throne is in a temple. It is associated, therefore, with worship, not just sovereignty, but with godly holiness. It is in a temple, the dwelling place, the holy God, who is not only to be obeyed, who is not only sovereign, but who is to be worshipped and adorned. Revelation 7.15 says something very interesting. It says, For this reason they are before the throne of God. We're going to take a look at who that is later. That is, those who have been saved during the tribulation period. But here's what they're doing up there while Chaos is on the earth and judgment is on the earth. This is what they're doing. They're up there around the throne and it says they serve him day and night in his what? 
in his temple. Chapter 11, verse 19, And the temple of God which is in heaven was opened, and it says the ark of the covenant appeared in his temple, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and great hailstorm. So this is what John sees. He, he, his focus, obviously, is on this temple. And this temple, I mean, his focus, obviously, is on the throne, and this throne is in the temple. And so when we look at this, uh, we see something that's very interesting. So in chapter 4, we have the seat of that same kind of fiery judgment, only here it's not a throne, it is the temple, when we, which tells us the temple is the place where the throne is. I hope that's not confusing. We'll clarify it a little later. But then you begin to see some other things that are there, and I don't want to get too far into uh, other parts of Revelation because we are going to be taking a look at them. But again, the heavenly throne uh, is in the heavenly temple, the dwelling place of God, where he is not only a sovereign God, he is a sovereign God to be feared, but a holy God to be worshipped. Imagine standing right there before that. A throne was standing in heaven. The idea of that is not a portable chair. This is set. It's a, heaven is not like that. It's not a portable throne. We can see uh, just because of what we know about the throne and all the rest of the book of Revelation. You can pick up a throne and haul it off somewhere. Uh, and this is what countries would do. They would go straight to where the throne is, take it to their country, and then they're the ruler. This is an immovable throne. I saw there a fixed, set, established place of divine rule, worship, and judgment. That is what actually could have been said here. That's very important to note because the way things are going, the flow of this period of time to come, the way prophecies are going to take place, somebody might think, and they will think, God has lost control. There is no more control from heaven. But nothing could be farther from the truth. As we get into this and we begin to see, it is going to prove to us it is exactly where God wants it to be. And so uh, we're, we're going to be taking a look at all of this. And again, this is a, a tremendous passage of Scripture. But I want to show you verse 2. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. Uh, this, again, is the position uh, this sitting on the throne, I know we've mentioned the throne, but the throne is the center of everything in heaven. So someone is in charge. God is in charge. History is not just a whimsical, it's not based on luck. This is a sovereign God of the universe. He's in charge. Sitting indicates a posture of reigning. That's what's important about that one word, sitting on the throne. It's not to be confused with the rest that we see uh, in Hebrews, uh, I think, three or four chapters there, chapter 1, chapter 10, uh, it seemed like it was chapter 12, where Christ is seated, he's resting there. Well, that has to do with resting because he's accomplished his atonement, his atonement, and that's what is being pictured in Hebrews. This is not resting because something is done. The posture of reigning because something is about to happen. John doesn't tell us the name of the one sitting. He doesn't say it's God. He doesn't say it's Jehovah. He doesn't say anything. He just says one sitting. Uh, maybe out of respect or reverence. Uh, we know that Isaiah in his vision, when he saw the very throne, went into the very same situation and the very same scene. He simply says this, in the year of King Uzziah, 
Christ's death, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. See, he, he says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Well, this is obviously the same Lord that is on the throne that was there when Isaiah got his vision, and this is what is being seen here. I think it's just another picture. This is the true vision of heaven, and this is what we are taking a look at. And so I I don't want to go any further than this. This is going to be a very much shorter uh, passage or message today because I, there's so much here I don't want to uh, cloud it up or to confuse the issue. But again, this is the tribulation period that is about to unfold, and we are looking at what is taking place in heaven just before that actually happens. And so we're going to have an opportunity to define some of these things as we're seeing them and to give us a look. I'm just so thankful that God, through His initiation, is allowing us to see some things. Because I can't think of a better time to really see God is in charge, God is sitting and ruling and reigning in the heavens and is orchestrating all of this. It's all under His His control. Because what I see in America, what I see in the world, doesn't look too good to me. Now, I know I don't want to be a fanaticalness, but I see things that just don't look... I see the stage is getting set. Uh, you can take world scene and you can see the stage is just set for a one-world leader who can come on the scene and be able to have answers and direction and guidance for nations like ours. We seem to be floundering. We've never seen a more divided country. We don't seem to know what we're doing. We seem to be a country that's out of control. Well, we told God to leave us alone. God left us alone. And now we don't know how to run it. We don't know how to make rational decisions. I know the one thing about that that I was talking about in the third judgment of Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following, is that basically we can say, when God turns over a nation to a reprobate mind, it is the nation that's mind has lost its common sense. And that's really what he's saying here. And you look at the decisions and things that are happening in our country, they're so bizarre and crazy that we think, man, we have lost our common sense. We don't know what we're doing. And so I think it's the stage is just getting set for a one-world leader to come in there and take control because he's going to have answers. There's going to be a coming. People are going to want to follow him. In fact, that's what 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 even says. He's, God's going to send a strong delusion so that these world earth dwellers will follow him. And so with that in mind, this is what is taking place in heaven as the stage is being set in heaven for the things that are about to happen on this earth. Do not miss another one of these messages. I will begin next week in chapter 3 and go through probably chapter 6. Uh, not chapter 3. I'll look again at chapter 4, verse 4, or verse 3, and then I will go through verse 7 or 8. Well, we are in for a, a tremendous, exciting uh, time of uh, unveiling here as God will richly bless what he's given John for the purpose for us to be informed. Remember now, in Revelation chapter 1, blessed are those who read, in verse 3, who hear the words of this prophecy, who heed the things which are written in it. 
for the time is near. Please stay with me. Do not venture from it. May you be blessed by the hearing of this. May you be blessed by the reading of the book of Revelation as God continues to bless our study. Thank you for joining us.